Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hi, this is Adam Wakeman from Headspace and Ozzy Osbourne's band, currently on tour with uh, the Mighty Sabs. Uh, you're listening to Talking Metal. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast home of all things hard rock and heavy metal. I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. Now, let's get things started with the Talking Metal theme song, written by Rob Halford, Metal Mike, and Roy Z. Hey, this is Mark Striegel. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. This is a cool episode. We have Adam Wakeman, who is uh, has played with everyone from Annie Lennox to Ozzy Osbourne to, of course, Black Sabbath. I'm joined by my co-host on this episode, uh, my co-host in life, actually, Emily Striegel. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. And we just had the amazing opportunity to go see Adam Wakeman play with Black Sabbath, although you don't really see him because he stands off stage, right? Well, where we were sitting, we could actually see him, which was really cool. But I would not have, if I hadn't known he was there, I wouldn't have been looking for him if I would not have seen him. Yeah, so if you go see Sabbath on this last run of tours and you're able to kind of look over to, as Emily said, the geezer butler side of the stage, you can see Adam standing off to the side of the stage and uh, he does keys. He does 
a lot of guitar, which I never realized, but he's going to tell us about that, uh, all that, in this interview that, that we're about to do. I met up with him in Manhattan the same day that Emily and I went down to, to see him play with Black Sabbath in New Jersey, at Homedale, in Homedale, New Jersey, which is kind of by the, the Jersey Shore. It's probably 90 minutes outside of Manhattan maybe less if there were no traffic maybe more if there were traffic but uh, it was just a, a great night and Ozzy in such good voice really I, I don't I won't say the top of it, uh, his game but close to it at least for the last decade or two yeah and I saw him at Madison Square Garden yeah. this past time um, and said the exact same thing he sounds better than ever he looks healthy he looks happy and it's just just chills the entire time. It was such a good show. Yeah, amazing show. And and you know, at first I'd looked at the set list online. I was like, oh, well, they're they're really focusing on that that those first four records. You know, they do do Dirty Women, which is a little bit later. But for the most part, it's songs off those first four records. I was like, oh, why aren't they playing something off of Thirteen? Why aren't they doing, you know, Never Say Die or something? But Honestly, being that this is this is it, this is the last string of concerts for them. I almost feel like it's fitting that they're just sticking with those those early those early early records, uh, those early early songs, and and kind of finishing where they where they started. And I wish we could go to the show in Birmingham on February fourth, the final show. Can we go? You've already talked about. Hey, I'm up for it. I'm up. I'm always up. You know me. <laughs> I'll go anywhere for any show to see, well, to see a band I love, and Black Sabbath would be up there. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to go. But who knows? You never know. Maybe, maybe. But anyways, it's been a, it was an honor talking with Adam because Adam's not only been involved with touring with Sabbath, he, of course, tours with Ozzy, and when he tours with Ozzy, he's on stage with Ozzy. Uh, and he was heavily, heavily involved in Ozzy's last record, which is a while back at this point, but the Scream record, which I'm a big fan of. A lot of people uh, maybe don't talk about that record as, as much as some of the early earlier Ozzy solo records, but it's a great record, um, and Adam does a lot of the songwriting on the record with Ozzy. So uh, with that said, let's get into a, a song by Ozzy Osbourne off the Scream record, a little sound sample. If you want to get the whole song, you can go listen to it on Spotify or go buy it on iTunes. This is called Digging Me Down, a song that Adam has a co-write on, and it's off the Scream record, which came out, I think, in 2010 by Ozzy Osbourne. Here we go, and then you'll hear my interview with Adam Wakeman.
This is Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and we are here in Midtown Manhattan with Adam Wakeman. Adam, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, what an exciting time. We're uh, heading down to PNC Art Center tonight to see probably Black Sabbath for the last time for me. Um, I know you guys will be touring until February, but I mean, what an amazing history. I was looking back at everything. I mean, going way back to the Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath record, which most likely when your dad recorded on that record, Rick Wakeman, your dad, you were in the womb because, you know, that was recorded, I think, in late 19, what, 73? And you were born in 74? Does that sound right? Yeah, I was somewhere uh, somewhere in my in my, the back of my dad's head, I think, probably at that time. Um, yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite a mad thing to think that he played on, on that stuff right back in the day, you know, and uh, I'm lucky enough to be here now sort of, you know, sort yeah. of carrying it on. Yeah, it, it really is uh, quite amazing. And let's talk about Ozzy. You were, you've been heavily involved with, with him uh, in Sabbath and also even more so on the solo stuff. Where did you first come to meet Ozzy Osbourne? Well, it all came about, I was touring with Annie Lennox um, in America in 2003, and uh, we played at a theater in Los Angeles. And in the front row, it was a very Los Angeles-type audience. It was lots of celebrities, and you know, Rod Stewart was there with... Um, one of his Amazonianly tall uh, wives of the time. I don't know which uh, which one. And then as I was looking down, I saw Sharon Osbourne. And I said to our tour manager at the time, a guy called Tony Wiggins, I said, uh, during the interval, I said, oh, I saw Sharon Osbourne. There. I'd love to meet her. And he said, oh, he said, I used to work for Sharon. Um, she's going to come back afterwards and, and say hi anyway. So I got chatting to Sharon. Uh, we talked for about half an hour or so. Um, a lot about the TV show, The Osbournes, which was obviously right. very big at the time, and and about my dad, because obviously my dad knows them from, from back in the day too. Um, and that was kind of it, really. And then about um, three, four months later, I got an email um, from Ozzy's office saying that he was looking for a keyboard player and would I be interested in, in touring. At the time, I was with a band called Travis, so I couldn't actually do that tour, so I had to turn it down. Um, and then Ozzy had his, uh, his quad bike accident, and the tour was postponed. This is back in 2003, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the tour came back uh, to being rescheduled, they asked me again, and I was available, and that was that was the start, really. Very cool. And, you know, the Scream record, which I thought was uh, just a fantastic record, you were heavily involved in the songwriting on that record. And I wanted to ask you, how does songwriting work with Ozzy? Do you submit ideas like on tape or on files to him and he kind of listens to what he wants? Or do you actually sit down and kind of jam stuff out with him? Well, I think it works differently for each album because he's very, you know, Ozzy's very good at kind of uh, works with lots of different people. Each album is generally a different producer. It's a different, um, you know, a different group of musicians sometimes. so I can only really comment on the album that I did, and that was I was called in quite late towards the end of the of the process, um, and it was I would sit with Kevin Cherko um, and Ozzy in the studio, and we would come up with ideas. Either I'd send them back and forth from England, uh, and eventually I came out to um, to America, and it was a case of you sit in the studio, and Ozzy comes in and sings sings some lines, sings some melodies over some riffs, and then once you've got you know a bit of a track worked out he'll go off and write lyrics and come back with more melodies and things so it's quite a it the studio at the time was in his house so it worked really well for him so he could come and go during each day and not feel that he's sat in there for a 16 hour day you know right. like a lot of the sort of studio sessions 
Um, so he was very, I mean, obviously very involved in the writing and he's very, you know, he's very, he knows what he likes. So he, he's quite quick to say, you know, I don't like that or that's, I think one of the comments of one of the tracks was, uh, uh, it sounds like fucking yes. So obviously ditch that, uh, that, that idea, but, uh, yeah, no, it's good. He's, he was all very, um, he was great to work with. And that's one of the things I enjoy about not just this gig, but it's kind of, you work with lots of different, as a musician, different writers and different artists and everybody works kind of differently. So it's, it's always interesting. Cool. And I wanted to mention too, on the, on this recent Sabbath tour, you're, you're doing keys, but I was reading, you're, you also do a little guitar behind the scenes. Is that correct? Yeah, it's kind of, this, this gig's kind of morphed into, um, when I first started doing it, I only played Paranoid on uh, on rhythm guitar, and the rest was all was all on keyboards. Um, and then I think it was back in 2007 when uh, Tony Iommi came to an Aussie show in I think it was at the Gibson Amphitheatre, and he saw that I was playing more guitar with with Aussie, um, and that was when Gus G was in. It might be 2010. I'm getting my years yeah. muddled. I'm getting too old, um, and. Uh, and Tony said, would you be happier when we come to do Sabbath stuff to play a bit more guitar? I said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll play whatever makes it more authentic. For me, it's more about the, you know, on the early Sabbath songs, there weren't keyboards, so it, it is more authentic. If there's a, a bit of rhythm guitar going on whilst Tony's soloing, it makes makes sense. But I'd never really thought to suggest that, you know, but Tony Tony was, you know, more than happy to for me to do it. So, so now I think I only play about three three songs on keys the rest is all rhythm guitar which is which is great you know i've got the ultimate bedroom guitar players gig you know i'm sort of off stage playing guitar along with those legends that's amazing and and obviously you're you're a a brilliant keyboardist which we we hear on all your different projects which we're going to get into a lot of these other things you're working on but uh as far as guitar playing goes when did you start playing guitar was that as a kid too or well it was i was about 20 something I mean I've always been interested in guitar and always kind of you know noodled about a little bit but never sort of took it very seriously I always concentrated more on the piano and keyboard side of things um and when I was about 20 yeah early 20s I took a gig in the in the west end of London for a, a, a musical and um and the guy was saying, oh, it's great. He said, it's kind of Hammond organ and keyboards and da-da-da. And I took the gig and he said, right, it starts in two weeks. Um, and he said, oh, you play guitar as well. And I went, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, right, great, that was it. And the phone went right. down and the, he sent me the score of all the music. And it was half half acoustic, half electric, kind of on the guitar front, and then kind of keys as well. And I, I kind of shit myself, really. I right. thought, oh, Christ. So I had to basically get knuckled down and get my get my act together. But it's a, it's a lot easier learning another instrument when you've already got the basis of another one. Uh, and that was it, really. So I kind of I got myself up to a good enough sort of standard to be able to get through the West End shows. And then after that, it just became a, a way of getting employed, really, because a lot of, as budgets were cutting down on tours over in England, there were, you know, they rather than have two guitar players and two keyboard players, they'd have a keyboard player that also played guitar. So again, with Annie Lennox, I played mainly keyboards, but, you know, a little bit of acoustic guitar as well and, and a few other gigs. Sort of, it just makes it more, it makes you more employable. Right on. And in Obviously, your dad, just le- a legendary uh, keyboardist, Rick Wakeman, has played with Yes, of course, and we mentioned Sabbath and a lot of the great Bowie stuff, too, he, he's, uh, he's been a part of. So was he giving you lessons as a boy, or, or was, did you kind of just absorb what he was doing? How big of an influence was your father? Well, he was, he was a huge influence. His involvement was, was actually quite 
minimal from a, a kind of a practical perspective because my my mum and dad separated when I was about three so I lived with my mum and my stepfather and then went to visit my dad so it was it was kind of like uh, you know we'd see him at weekends or when he wasn't on tour and um, and it wasn't the case of sat down at the piano and he'd sort of show me stuff I remember asking him um, specifically once when I was about eight or nine to show me the intro to um uh, one of the Catherine Catherine Howard I think from um, The Six Wives of Henry VIII um, and he gave me handed me a cassette and said if you want to learn it here's the cassette go and learn it and at the time I thought it was the meanest thing any father could do looking back on it it was probably one of the most valuable lessons I've ever had whether it be intentional or not you know um, it helped me develop my ear from a very young age and to sit down and I sat there until this tape you know I, I wore it out you know learning the start of this piece um, it would have been very easy for him just to show me and then I would have played it and, and that was it but it was a really a valuable lesson so from that perspective he was very influential um, and you know I ask him I still ask him to this day you know if I've got a, a kind of music related question I'll always value his opinion very highly if, it, if it's a family related uh, question I tend to ask his advice and then do the opposite because he's <laughs> okay. been divorced three to four times three oh. times four times so uh, yeah, he's, 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 he's a good source of information, but not not always. Uh, right. You know, I don't always heed it. Musical information, yeah. Cool. Let's uh, let's talk about some of the stuff you're doing now. I, I think fans of Yes, I think fans of Porcupine Tree, for example, would would really dig what you do with Headspace. Uh, there's a, a new record out. All that you fear is gone. Rather new, I think, came out earlier this year. Great stuff. Well, give me a little history on this band because I really don't know much about Headspace, and I think uh, we have to let the Talking Metal listeners know about this great band. Okay. Well, it all started really back in 2006, where I'd just been on quite a few long tours with Ozzy and stuff, and the other other friends of mine that I never get to see, great musicians, um, that. I just, you know, they become really good friends and you just never get to see them. And I thought, well, it'd be a good opportunity. Normally these things happen at school, you know, school bands and, you know, friends get together and they form a band. We were just a bit late uh, getting together, really. We were kind of, you know, friends who are all musicians, but we all work with other with other bands. I say I, I, w- I work with Ozzy a lot, so that kind of takes up a lot of my time. Um, but I thought it'd be a good excuse to get a group of guys together who are all friends, all knew each other, and all similar-minded, all have other projects going on, but have a band where we can really just do our own thing. And when we started it, we really didn't know what which way it was going to go. It could have turned into a band like Keen, or it could have been like a you know more of a pop thing. We really didn't have any preconceived ideas. I remember the first email I sent to everybody was, you know, we, we booked a rehearsal room, and I just said, don't come with any preconceived ideas or ideas. Let's just come in and see what happens. And that's kind of what happened. And we did a couple of EPs, um, and then uh, managed to get uh, to to get on a couple of the support slots with Aussie in on, in 2007, uh, which was great. And uh, and it kind of went from there really. And then we we kind of you know we got the 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 deal and did uh, our first album I Am Anonymous, which was which was good. And that seemed to go down well. The difficulty always is finding time to do it live because we're always we're all busy. You know, lead the bass players away over the LO at the moment. Um, we have managed to do a couple of festivals in the summer and next summer we're hoping to put a tour together as well for Europe which would be good but we've got a few got like a week's worth of shows in December and um, but it's basically we're all really good mates and it's a it's an opportunity for us to kind of really do what we want to do rather than be playing for other people now the shows in that you mentioned in December are those headlining gigs or are you playing with somebody else yeah the headlining gigs in Europe that's uh, all information's on um, headspaceonline.com um, 
but there's I think it's four shows one in Germany two in Holland one in Belgium and then we're looking at maybe doing a London show we'll we'll see if the time kind of if there's enough time to do it excellent another thing you're doing uh, I'm a big Whitesnake fan Neil Murray who played on all that classic Whitesnake stuff through the self, big self-titled album in 1987 you have a band uh with him snake charmer and uh, you guys had a, a record that came out back in 2013 um is there plans for another snake charmer record yeah we've actually we're about halfway through it at the moment we're using a, a great studio in england um with a producer called gary stevenson who uh, produced all the um abc stuff and go west and a lot of the kind of 80s 80s bands um i've known him quite a while and even though he's kind of more more known for his for his 80s productions he's uh, he's a fantastic producer and a, and I just thought he'd be a perfect fit so I got all the guys together we went up checked his studio out and and they loved it and it's a lovely environment out in the countryside so we've got um uh we've got a new guitar player now Simon McBride who replaced Mickey Moody who was on the yeah, first album right. um so we're kind of uh, again it's a similar thing to Headspace it's kind of trying to fit in the time to get it all done but the, the good thing is those guys aren't quite as you know they don't do so many other projects so they're available a bit more so they're kind of getting on with things at the moment I did uh, Hammond on six tracks literally the day before I came away on the, on this next run of the Sabbath dates so uh, yeah so they're kind of cracking on with the next kind of six or so tracks and, and yeah it's, good. it's sounding great it's going to be good you know we kind of I like to think it's what White Snake would have been if it carried on as it was if you know right. what I mean the kind of the old you know there's a there's obviously there's a place for White Snake now David Coverdale it's kind of it, that the way he took it forward that was the way that it, it you know went to it had to be um, but I think of I think of this band as kind of just carrying on from back in the 70s it's right. very raw it's very kind of you know twin mm. guitar it started off a lot more bluesy and you know not so metal if you will right exactly and i think you know the way that it changed was was just moving with the times which was absolutely right you know i, I was a huge white snake fan when i was a kid so it, you know i, I love both kind of eras of it um but i think you know i think there's place for both and and it's certainly it's such a laugh to play you know it gave me an excuse to buy hammond organ so and, and being that, that Neil was such a part of all that classic White Snake, when you see Snake Charmer live, I'm guessing you'll get a lot of those White Snake classics, correct? Yeah, we don't. Well, I mean, we haven't been over here to America, unfortunately. I, I, we've been trying to sort of get that together for a while, but um, we tend to play in Europe quite a lot, festivals and things. And it's, yeah, now we've got, once the second album's finished, we'll have, you know, we'll have a lot more material. But up until now, it's been, we'll probably do three or four White Snake songs and then the rest of the songs from, from the Snake Charmer album. Excellent. Cool. Um, I wanted to mention the stuff you do solo. Oh, actually, it's not solo with uh, with Damon Wilson from Headspace. Now, you guys have have done some some stuff outside of Headspace, which has a mellower feel. Um, You want to talk a little bit about the stuff you do with Damon outside of uh, Headspace? Yeah, I mean, that came about really because I, re- I mean, he's a really good friend of mine. I've known him a long time. We had a band together back in 95, I think it was, 94, 95. So I've known him a long time. And um, I get on really well with him. And and he came up to up to my house. I just said, well, let's, let's just write some songs and see, you know, stuff that we that wouldn't fit with, with Headspace, you know, and, and wouldn't fit with his kind of solo thing. So we locked, uh, locked ourselves in my front room for a couple of days, literally, just sat at a piano. He had an acoustic guitar, I had an acoustic guitar. And we came up with ideas, he sang melodies, and we, we got about 20, 20 ideas together. Um, he went home, 
and then a, a couple of weeks later, we kind of decided on which ones were kind of the strongest ones to focus on. Um, and that was it. He came up again. And then um, I think he, he probably came back three or four times and we finished the writing together. And then and then we went in the studio and recorded it. It was really quite a, a simple process. And it was a it just uh, it just felt very natural and it was great. And we were actually doing a, um, a tour in February in the UK. Oh, cool. uh, just the two of us probably do about 15, 20 shows around the UK once the Sabbath thing finishes. And well, just just you two guys on stage, no one else. Yep the right. the, the only um, the only thing we um, we need is a, a real piano. I'm right. I'm quite fussy about that just because it is such a, a kind of a um, it's such a you know um, a minimal kind of sounding album. And the two of us together, it's kind of I I, I wanted it to, to sound kind of you know just a bit classier really. So if it's a real piano, a couple of acoustic guitars, and we sit and we chat and we play songs, and we also do some songs from. Um, you know, from from our kind of past thing. So he'll do a you know, so a few of his solo tracks, or whatever, and I'll play a couple of pieces that I wrote with albums on albums with my dad and things. So it's kind of it's like an evening with kind of vibe. Gotcha, very good. I wanted to mention um, the whole connection here. How I got to uh, meet up with you today comes through somebody named Callahan, who you do some gigs with, and a great singer songwriter. Um, <clears throat> can you talk a little bit about her and, and your connection to her? Yeah, well, I met her um, a long time back now when she moved to London, when she was about, uh, she must have been about 17 or something. And um, she was with a, a manager, I think it was called Oliver Smallman, I think, was the, was her manager at the time. And myself and a guy called Giles Palmer were, were doing a lot of writing together with different artists in London. And he just hooked us up with, with her, and, and we got on really well. She left, um, left that management company, um, but continue, we continued to write with her. Then she moved over to Nashville. Personally, at the time I was writing with her, I always felt she was more country than than pop. But her management were trying to push her like a kind of um, Alanis Morissette, Natalie Brulia, that kind of thing. Where she was always, in my eyes, way more kind of country pop. Um, and that kind of really came out when she moved over to Nashville and um, and sort of you know started working with Sean Mullins and people like that. Um, but we've always kept in touch, and I. Every now and again, I get um, I get a writing uh, gig for somebody, and they, it needs a female kind of top line. So we we work on stuff together, and a couple of tracks have, um, have worked, turned out really well. In fact, one parachute uh, ended up on on our last album. Oh, cool. um, that was originally we wrote that for um, Celine Dion, and uh, and it didn't get taken up by her, but she, um, you know it turned out in a really nice track. So so she ended up using it. Cool, cool. Yeah, great voice and got to see her live recently and excellent performer. So February 4th will be the the last show ever. At least that's what we're told with with Black Sabbath. Um, Obviously, uh, I'm guessing it's going to be a pretty emotional night for Ozzy, Tony and Geezer. What about you as as part of the the team? How how are you going to feel about this last show? Uh, Heavy emotions? Well, it is going to be quite weird. I haven't really thought too much about it, but, um, you know, you, you say as you're told it's the last show. That's all I'm told as well. As far as I'm aware, that is, you know, it's every time people ask these questions I hear, you know, I hear them say, you know, that, that this really is it. This yeah. is, you know, so um, as far as Sabbath, you know, goes, yeah. this is definitely it. It's going to be emotional. And I think there's a lot of pressure on Birmingham shows anyway. When we've played at the... It's, and it's the same kind of thing. It's kind of New York, Los Angeles, London, Birmingham are the four shows where there's always just an added expectation. And I think, you know, they put it on themselves, obviously. You know, they want to make it a, a, a memorable a memorable night. And, 
you know how you prepare for a your final show I've no idea I mean I don't know how they're going to deal with that at all but um, you know they've never disappointed before so I think it would you know it'd be pretty mega I think yeah I wish I wish I could be there but uh, it sounds like it's going to be one hell of a night as is tonight uh, again the last time I think I will probably see Black Sabbath tonight in New Jersey psyched to see the show it's been great talking with you again uh, catch Black Sabbath guys on this last string of dates the, your last chance to see Black Sabbath. Adam is a part of the team doing a lot of guitar and keyboards, more guitar than keyboards, it sounds like, on this tour. And also check out Adam's band Headspace, a great new record out. All That You Fear is gone. Again, personally, I think if you're a fan of Porcupine Tree, or yes, you're going to dig this record. So thanks again, Adam. Thanks a lot, Mark.
So that was Road to Supremacy off of the album All That You Fear Is Gone, which is the new record by Headspace. Yeah, which is Adam's band. And that's a heavy song. That's the first song off the record. And I, I love that heavy guitar that kicks in there. It's great stuff. Some of the album leans a little more progressive, but you have elements of, of, of metal guitar on it. Uh, some just amazing keyboard and piano playing by Adam. Some great vocals. Uh, it's a great, great band. If you don't know Headspace, definitely do yourself a favor and check them out. Um, another cool thing that happened, all thanks to Adam while we were there, is Emily and I got to go backstage, and we didn't get to hang out with Ozzy or anything. I imagine they have uh, a pretty strong file, firewall around Ozzy, Tony, and Geezer, but Adam did take us backstage and show us his his rig and all the amps. He's playing Laney's just like Tony does, uh, you know, backstage. And then he took us downstage, downstairs to a dressing room and there was Tommy Clufetis. So we got to hang out with Tommy. Emily got to, got to ask Tommy about his pants. And <laughs> what were you asking him about? Oh my God. I mean, he has the best clothes. And I remember thinking that at Madison Square Garden, not to sound too girly, but I like things that lace up. And he had these like 1970s style, like, low-rise bell-bottoms that laced up the front. So we had like an extensive conversation about where he gets his clothes and what he did with those pants. And Yeah, yeah it was pretty awesome. It, it was great. And we're going to post a picture of Emily, myself, and Tommy in today's show notes. And I strongly uh, encourage you to connect with Adam Wakeman on social media and through his website, uh, again, a lot of great stuff Adam is doing, not only with Black Sabbath, but with Ozzy Osbourne, with Headspace, with Snake Charmer, which is kind of, in a way, an offshoot of White Snake. Neil Murray, of, of who played on all the classic White Snake stuff, is uh, the the guy who kind of, I don't know if I call him the leader, but he's the guy in head in um, Snake Charmer with Adam. And, and they even play White Snake songs live when they go out, so... There you go. Snake Charmer, Headspace, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, Adam Wakeman is the man. Thanks, Adam, for doing the interview with me in New York City, and thanks for putting on a great show that night at PNC Art Center in New Jersey. We had uh, just an awesome time. Guys, to support the podcast, you can go to TalkingMetal.com. You can check out the uh, the photo of Emily and I backstage at Black Sabbath with Tommy Clufetis. You can check out a photo of Adam and I in New York City the the day of the show. Um, and what else? Uh, you can use our Amazon links. There's a PayPal donation tab, which you can use. And uh, you can also like our Facebook page. I used to have two Facebook pages, Emily, and I, I recently have I've for years been trying to combine the two because I had Talking Metal Digital and Talking Metal. And Facebook, they would never let me do it. And I hadn't tried in like a year. And then just randomly I tried the other day, and they were like, you've been accepted. Both pages are combined. So that's cool. That's awesome. I didn't even know you had a Facebook page. (laughs) You have not liked the Talking Metal Facebook page? No, I'm sure I have. I'm sure I have. I'm not a big Facebook person. I mean, I am. I'm on there. I was on there today. Cool. Well, where is the best place people can connect with you on uh, social media? Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter at Emily Striegel. It's very easy, right? Because Striegel is an extremely rare name. That's why it's like everything. I've never had a problem getting a username with that name. I, I My maiden name is Green, everyone. So I went from Emily Green to Emily Striegel. It was, it's been quite painful. 
<laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, cool. Let's close with a little sound sample of Black Sabbath. Again, Emily's been lucky enough to see this this final tour twice. I only got to see it once so far. Who knows if we'll end up over on the uh, the grounds where it all started uh, for the February 4th show in Birmingham. Probably not, but I, I still am holding out hope that maybe somehow that could happen. They're also playing February 2nd, so their two final shows will be over there. And uh, as Jack... Osborne said, you know, in, in the interview I did with him recently, it, it's probably going to be a, a pretty emotional night. It's almost like a living wake, Jack, <laughs> compared it to. You know. And I'm sure February in Birmingham is going to be gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, how cold does it get over there, I wonder? I it just, I think it gets pretty cold and it's pretty gloomy. Yeah. I mean, listen to Black Sabbath. Right, okay. exactly. And on that note, why don't we, you know, I, I usually like to play more off the beating path tunes, uh, but let's just let's just go way back and, and do the typical thing, play the song Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath to take us out here today. Uh, go buy the full version of it on iTunes. And again, thanks for listening to Talking Metal. All right, take care, guys.
find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.